All right, we are here, week 18. Week 18? I cannot believe it. Hi, I'm Troy Richards. I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. And Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year. And on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. You know, this is like one of those, uh, if you have never read the Bible, uh, wow, what a great week this would have been to start. (laughs) And and, and truly, you can go back, and and we we start in 1 Samuel 10, uh, you know, there's no rule or law that says, oh wait, you're going to read the Bible? You have to start with Genesis 1. That's (laughs) the rule. Now you can start in 1 Samuel 10 and and work your way through. It it you made a little backstory. You might want to start at 1 Samuel 1 just to kind of get the flow of things. But um, but really, we are going to talk about this week. We we start with Saul becoming a king. We we had that hint of that in our last week's reading. Uh, but the now, now Saul is going to be the official king. Have his first conquests and conquerings, and then he's going to fail miserably. Uh, it's such a quick downfall. I had such high hopes for Saul. I, you know, it, it, it just wasn't meant to be, wasn't really. Meant to be. Uh, he was so tall, you know? <laughs> <sighs> something about tall people being king. He was yeah. head and shoulders above the rest, literally. Wow. Uh, and then he failed as king, and then David, newly anointed David, comes on the scene, and we have the story of David and Goliath. Woo! I mean, if there's a, a story in Scripture that everybody seems to know or understand, it would be the story of David and Goliath. And uh, and and people who don't even read the Bible know that story. Uh, but that story is in this week's reading, and uh, it is awesome. And so... It's a little uh, graphic, then, more graphic than my Sunday school lessons. It is a little bit more than you see in a coloring book for a children. children's book, yes. yeah. yeah. I, I haven't seen too many... Coloring books for children, where it's got David holding the head holding of Goliath, the head, yeah. yeah, with a sword in his hand. Yeah, that was new to yeah. me when I read it for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't just kill him with a slingshot. He takes his head off. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Anyway, should have given that little PG rating at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then David begins his. Uh, it's, this is just a great story. Mm. The story of how David becomes king. And granted, understand when it's written, David probably is king, so it, it may have a little bit of a slant in his favor. <laughs> but uh, but still, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're getting and and there's a lot of warts that are shown for David mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. there's it, there's a lot of authenticity there. But the um, obviously it's the Bible. I don't know why I had to give that disclaimer that it's authentic. Uh, but uh, in case you were wondering, it is authentic. Uh, and um, so, but we're going to go through that story. And in the New Testament, uh, we wrap up the Gospel of Luke, which means we're going to go through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is the Gospel that has that story in there, really amazing story of how these two guys are walking after the crucifixion with Jesus and so forth. And then um, John, the Gospel of John starts out, which was written by the Apostle John. And at the beginning, uh, he gives a, kind of it's kind of a Genesis type narrative. Oh, it is uh, so cool. Yeah, very much so. And uh, and then introduces another John, uh, John the Baptist, and brings him on the scene with one of the best John the Baptist stories of uh, or or pieces of any of the Gospels. So uh, yeah, it was an awesome week. So we get a lot to tear into. Yeah, we will. So buckle up. We will be back to do this. All right. In a moment. 
We're back from the break. We're going to jump into some devotional moments yes. that we found in the reading. I have I have a couple things that I've really just seen, very excited about, um, new revelations to me. I have read all of this in the past. Um, it's just, you know, when you read stuff sometimes, and sometimes when you read it in the right order, mm-hmm. you know, like... I, I picked up more this week from First Samuel because I was in the Psalms, and yeah. so there's a lot lot going on. It helps that David was a key contributor to the Psalms, and this is his story. Um, but my first kind of, um, I don't know, my first devotional moment came in First Samuel 18, um, verse 14, and it's just kind of a one-liner. It just says, David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. And I've I've kind of meditated on that concept a lot over the last couple of years, just what it means for the Lord to be with you, because we believe uh, and know to be true now that the Holy Spirit's with us all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, one of the big advantages of being post-Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and that's great. But what is it? I think it the text kind of shows that there's something different when the Lord is with you, with you. You know what I'm saying? And... And I think what it comes down to for me is what, at least my gleaning from this, is that um, the Lord's with us when we're with him. You know, like I could tell, I could ask you, Troy, if, um, hey, I want to, I want to, I'm ready to do this podcast today. You with me? I know you're with me. We're in the same room. We're at the table across from each other. Right. But are you with me? Like, do you want to do this? Are we going the same direction? Right. That is a different sense of with. And I think that's probably what the text is has for us today, is that the Lord's with us all the time. We can't separate ourselves from him. But are we with him in that his power is working actively in our lives? Are we seeking after his spirit? Where his spirit goes, we go. Are we with him in that kind of way? And in that kind of way, I think that there is... There's just an advantage to being alive with mm. the Spirit. We have a sense of power and a sense of ability to accomplish whatever comes in front of us with the Lord being in this way with us. So that was just for me. I was thinking, man, am I am I with the Lord? Where is am I seeing evidence of God's blessing in my life out of that? So mm. no, it's just a it's just a litmus test. And day to day, I think it's a good thing to consider. Am I with the Lord? Is He with me? So that was my that was my first devotional good moment. Good stuff, Daniel. Good stuff. Just an the appetizer. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Uh, I came from First Samuel twelve fourteen. Mm-hmm. He's, if you fe- he says, if you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the King who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Mm. And this is as Samuel is telling the people, Samuel, you know, when he's talking about being, um, when the people are demanding a king, he sees this as a betrayal of himself because he is the last of the judges. And this system of judges basically started with Moses. And and so it's, and, and if you don't understand the concept of judges, it basically is that God is ruling over the people. And yet men are raised up to help people understand the law and people, you know, this is what the law says and here's how we abide by it. And then uh, basically as a representative of God's people to say, uh, should we go into battle? And he intercedes for them. Yes, we should go into battle. And then they go into battle and win and so forth. And this system has worked. Samuel's sons weren't what they needed to be. And so the people were like, you're getting old. Your sons are definitely not going to be able to rule us and so forth. And, and so it's kind of a, um, and Samuel takes it personally, 
But God says, hey, you shouldn't take it. You know, don't worry about it. I'm the one, really, who is who is being thrown under because they're saying we really don't trust the Lord in this respect. We don't trust that He's going to provide someone to to lead for us. And uh, and also the reasoning for them wanting a king was not, you know, we want a king because that's what the Lord would want us to have and and so forth. The reasoning was everybody else has a king, so we want a king. And so he's, but but he makes this great statement here, and and here he, and I wrote here God tells his people that the people he puts in power over them is a reflection of the people's faithfulness. Mm. An immoral, uh, an immoral and fruitless people, an immoral and faithless people, um, get immoral and faithless rulers. Our leaders are a reflection of the spiritual nature of the people. If we as a people repent and turn to God. He will give us faithful leadership. It is not about campaigning harder. It is not about mm. working. I, we were years ago. We were involved in an election process where we were voting. We were in lived in the Northwest and we were voting on. Oh, I'm pointing over to the Northwest. Uh, we, we live over there in the Northwest. Um, but we were we were voting on a physician uh, assisted suicide bill. Mm. Which I wholeheartedly believe that God, in the sanctity of human life, you have to believe that God holds life in its hand. We do not have the authority or the ability to say, I choose to end my own life, and I want to do it under these circumstances. Even if, no matter what your prognosis is or whatever, I get it that it's a very emotionally charged. I get it that uh, you see your parent, you see people suffering, and you're trying to end their suffering. Um, but taking of life is is one of those things. And that's the story of Saul. We're going to have that later next week. Um, but the um, but here you have uh, a difficulty, uh, a very difficult legal decision that the church took a stand that. Um, this needs to be. Um, is we shouldn't do this. the The vote was seventy percent were in favor of the physician assisted suicide, thirty percent were not. The next year, the church felt, you know, we really didn't fight that. You know, we let we just let that happen. We just assumed we'd win, didn't win. So they spent millions of dollars the next year. The religious organizations, churches, and so forth all invested in millions of dollars of campaigning and so forth to educate people and so forth. This is what this is about. And the next year, we voted on it again. It was a million more people voted, 70%, mm. 30%. And what we learned is that is not how you change the law. That is not how you change. If you want to change people's hearts, it has to begin with us being faithful. Because it, because what it showed was wasn't the world that was voting necessarily this way. As There were as many people inside our churches who agreed with physician-assisted suicide as there were outside of our churches. And there might be people listening to the podcast thinking, well, I believe that that's the right way to go. And, and it just shows that we haven't done a very good job of keeping people grounded in the word, really helping people to understand why we why it is a bad thing, why it would be wrong. Uh, and, and and so, and that's what happens. Uh, we become, we become, we get lazy in our understanding of the word. We get lazy in, in growing in our own understanding of the word and passing it on to another generation. And so people come to their own viewpoint about things based on their own rationale, based on their own way of thinking without using the Bible as their authority. They come to a position and they begin to think, well, no, this sounds right. This this seems right, mm. even though when it's not biblically authoritative. And and then so when the time comes for those decisions to be made, they they make the wrong decisions. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. And and God gives us leadership that reflects that. I mean, you're voting for people thinking, oh, no, we need to vote for this person. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say it publicly. I, I criticized a lot of people who voted for a governor in the state where I came from, in Kentucky, even though he was um, pro-choice. I mean, mm-hmm. voted Voted. I mean, they just passed the Congress. The legislature just passed a bill, the Born Alive Act, that if a baby of abortion procedure failed and the baby lived through the abortion procedure, the act would provide that physicians would have to do everything they could to save the life of the baby. And the governor vetoed that bill. Mm. And uh, and people were like, <gasps> you know, and it was like he said he would when he was running. But because he promised to protect their retirements as you know in the educational system and so forth people are like oh we're going to vote for him and it just showed that uh that they, they weren't looking for somebody who reflected what the, a, the, a person who would you know now they're they're having all kinds of struggles and as far as the church reopening sure. and so forth and so uh, it shows that they they got someone who reflected where they were themselves spiritually morally and um and if you can't see it that's because you may not be in the word yourself, mm. but um, um, that's anyway. That's um, that's that's a hard pill to swallow because when we get a we get an elected official and say why would you know why would God allow this person to be leader of our nation or leader yeah. of our state or leader of Congress or whatever? Why does God allow these people? And it's like well because that's that's where the people are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's crazy that you say that because that's actually my second. My second, Ooh. something like that. It's my second thing. In second, in First Samuel, in uh, chapter twenty-two, verse one through eighteen, Saul, it turns to he's searching for David and he wants to find David real bad, hmm. right? And he gets to this point where he turns to this um, Edomite, who is his name. I like his name because it's Doug, which is <laughs> fun for me in the Bible. Yep. Um, but he turns to Doeg, Doug, um, to for help in killing God's. Priests. Oh my uh, goodness! And this, this grieves me. Yes. This story, I, the, I, this story was is, so heavy. Is it not uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> if you want, this is, this is one of the darkest things oh, I that man. you read in scripture. This is like the end of the movie where the villains revealed, and it's like yeah. all this build up, and he's yeah. this guy who was so so much promise. Yeah. This guy who Israel selected and chose, you know, this this great guy just gets torn apart by his own. Yeah strained his own fleeing the lord and he turns to his guards and says kill these priests and they won't and not just any ahimelech is is like this super nice guy i mean yeah and yeah really saying all i was being loyal to you yeah i would have never done that i'm really begging for his life he was and yeah he wasn't and he didn't wrong anyone in this story oh, it's so bad saul is just so just so it. deep in this and so he turns to this foreign guy and says, "You kill them." And he kills eighty-five yeah. priests. Yeah. And and nobody else would. I and mean, nobody, yeah, else, nobody would. else would. Yeah. And and they wouldn't stop it either. Um, yeah. Which is true. Which yeah. is interesting. But um, but it. I was reading that, and yeah, just so grieved, but also grieved for Israel because it's such a picture of Saul is such a picture of Israel. Yeah. Um. They started out with so much promise, yeah. so much ability to to make the world this to be a light for the world and this this kingdom of God on earth, and they just fail so deeply. Not to say that we don't, but just as a picture of them, and then and then just to see David as the coming redeemer of as a picture of like Christ right. earlier or later, 
and and just to see how he comes and how he is they see how Saul seeks to put David to death so Israel sought to put Christ to death um, but in fact David rises above that and and comes to rule anyway it's such a such an analogy to me of that never stuck out before uh, I did the reading this week but um, just how yeah man the, the rise and fall of Saul the rise and fall of Israel and the rise of David um, such a good good picture for us tonight. I think that might have been intentional on God's part. I don't know. It's not stated, um, but it just seems so. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, David had gone, David had fled. He had had this interaction with Jonathan, Saul's son, figured out that Saul was going to try to kill him. David flees. He goes to Ahimelech the priest and asks for rations and a weapon. And and so he takes the showbread, which Jesus references later in the New Testament, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as an example for David and his men, uh, where he takes the holy things, because uh, basically you have bread that's put out fresh for the Lord, and then there's the old bread, and says as long as the men have been are you know moderately <laughs> cleansed, like haven't been with women in the last <laughs> few days, and uh, and David assures them they haven't, so he gives the bread to them, and he gives him, and and David tells him he says because Ahimelech's kind of like what's going on, and he's like I'm on a special mission. You know, so he really lies. Well, he does. He lies to him. He, he just lies. Yeah. <laughs> He's bold, just flat out lies. So he lies to Ahimelech, and Ahimelech's like, "Oh, well, you're the king's servant. You, you know, you're David." And so he gives him Goliath's sword. He has. He says, "I have a sword here. It's the one you took from Goliath when you killed him." And so he gives the sword to him, and David's like, "Absolutely, this is a great sword." And so he gives it to him. Well, in there, a guy who has been who's punished or whatever, really a criminal. Uh, there is uh, Doeg, Doug, the Edomite, and so, uh, like you said, a foreigner, um, and he sees all this take place, and that little tidbit is given there. And so he rats out Ahimelech later to Saul, and that's why, and so Saul's like, you've been taking care of my enemies, and you've been taking care of my enemies. And Ahimelech is, is saying, hey, he he's David. He's part of your court. Right. He's your son-in-law. And he tells me that he's on a mission for you. I'm just trying to help him help you. You know, why would I not think that? Why would I be conspiring right. We don't have Facebook, so, Saul. I can't so see. Yeah, exactly. So that's the – so if you were – you need to really go back and read the story. Uh, not, yeah, we're not trying to trick you into reading 1 Samuel. <laughs> uh, we're just saying this is a really powerful story, and it will frustrate you. Because it's like, because if you were ever at a time thinking, why would God allow that to happen? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. And even David, uh, this is how how messed up David's ascension to the throne is in, in so many ways. It's like he did that. He lied and caused that man's and caused all those priests to be killed. And he owns that. He absolutely realizes that it's because of that. But the truth is, he didn't do it. Saul did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even though David was responsible for getting Ahimelech involved and so forth, it was Saul that carried out the deed, uh, and uh, it's rough. This brings me to a psalm of David. What? And psalm, um, psalm 57. He says this, and this is David's heart always, and you kind of see the difference between him and Saul. Um, these are David says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. 
I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. As day, this, The great thing about the Psalms are these are the things that were in David's heart as he's being pursued by Saul, as he's being as he's being persecuted in the kingdom, as he's being pursued by Absalom, as whenever he and and so you, he really just pours out. It's, it's not often you get in Scripture a a, a basically a journal of mm. this is what I was feeling when I was going through this mm. of a man like David who's a man after God's own heart, and really he always goes back to the Lord. The beautiful picture, well, this is what I said. I said, I have needed mercy constantly over the course of my life. At any time a sense of pride creeps in, the Lord allows me to topple, to remind me that he is my strength and source of goodness. He is my ever-present help in time of trouble and need. When the temptation comes to leave his security, I must fight to stay connected to Christ. There is always this temptation that when things are getting difficult, that I need to call this person. Or I always think in terms of uh, when marriages begin to topple, people think I need to call an attorney, or I need to, uh, or I, or I have business. You know, I call an attorney, or call a doctor, or call these other people. And we have these ideas of of when I go through difficult times, depending on the difficulty, even car trouble, we call a mechanic. You know, and we we have this problem. I call this person, but really. It always needs to start with, I call upon the Lord. Mm. I ask him for help and so forth. Now, he uses all those people. He uses mechanics and lawyers and doctors and and all these different people. Uh, He uses all these people to help us. But we begin by going to him and then letting him um, show us the path to mercy. Wow. So That's good. Um, this is it. This is your last this one. This is my you're last gonna, one. Throw this here this is my best one. This is the most. This yeah. is it. I've been waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, big revelation here for me. Uh, in First Samuel, um, all my stuff's in First Samuel. Sweet. Um, and not that Luke wasn't great, not the Proverbs, whatever. But um, <laughs> Luke is great. Luke was great. It had a big climax in Luke, and obviously, and I just throw it out there. The opening of John is my favorite opening of any Bible book that there is. I think it's super cool. Could have written a fiction book today if he wanted to. But he didn't because he wasn't alive right. today. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verses 10 through 15, I'll just read it. It's a little dark again. Um, it says, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? We remember that from an earlier reading. David took these words to heart and greatly feared Akish. Is there an easier way to say that? Akish? Yeah, I'll go with that. Akish, um, saying uh, king of the Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. So he's just acting like this crazy guy, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, And so he gets away from the king basically, um, by acting like a crazy person. But they, they actually seize David. They take him and present him to the king and say, hey, I think this is David. And he says, I have enough fools running around. I don't need this other guy. I doubt he's David because he's acting like an idiot. Um, and so we read that. And that has no devotional um, bearance until we, all, we go on and read in Psalm 56 
uh, verses this and come to find out Psalm 56 is what David wrote it while he was held by them by that king right while he was held by them he was writing Psalm 56 which just so happens to be what we're reading today it's really great and uh, he says in verse three and four when I'm afraid I will put my trust in you in God whose word I praise in God I have put my trust I shall not be afraid what can mere man do to me Mm. Um, and it's so good David wasn't an idiot David was no fool. Um, he was acting. He acted shrewdly. I think he acted yeah. wisely. Um, even, but I think what gave him the ability, like the mental wherewithal, to be able to even survive that, was his trust in the Lord. Um, he just he writes down his trust. Man can't do anything to him, and it just takes his panic away because yeah. it says he greatly fears him, and then he comes up with this brilliant idea. I don't come up with brilliant ideas when I'm afraid. So something must have happened in David's heart, and he has documented it here in Psalm 56. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you and God whose word I praise. So I don't know. That's That was so inspiring for me. Mm. Uh, when I, so when I'm afraid, I, I, my trust in God will – I mean there are so many applications in that, um, that not only will God supernaturally possibly take me out of a situation or get me through a situation – but he may just my trust in him alone may be enough to be able to do it on you know with the capabilities faculties that he's given me. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's it was just really cool. Good, just good connection. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you highlighted something that I think is really cool about um, going through the Bible reading is how many times because there are multiple times this will happen. Now you're you're reading through an old, it's an Old Testament reading, Psalms, Proverbs. New Testament reading, but they're all sequential. I mean, we start with Genesis 1, Matthew chapter 1, and then they're divided up over the 365 readings and so forth. But how many times something you read in the Old Testament will connect with either a proverb or something in the Psalms mm-hmm. or something in the New Testament? Actually, there are times when the New Testament reading will reference the Old Testament reading that we had on the same day. Yeah. And you're like, what? And what? so it's like crazy how God works that out. But uh, um, and it doesn't happen all the ways. But it, when it does happen, it's very cool. You know, when things like that happen, I, I have this little thing that I do. When I see a passage three times in the same day, mm. something reference. Uh, it's like I absolutely will write that down and yeah. say, okay, you got my attention. I don't know what this. And there always is some reason that there it's there. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know why. Three just seems like a good biblical Well, two number. is statistically really improbable. Yeah. But three times? Three is, I think, like, come they, on. They call it impossible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Um, my last one is from Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 48. And um, and and just to, is, remember Luke, when he's writing his gospel, he is uh, – and I just want to say, I also like John chapter 1. I almost threw that in as my, mm, my time, mm, but mm. I did not write it in my journal this so week. So it doesn't count. So it didn't count. Yep. Um, but the um, – um, it says he says this in Luke chapter 24 verses 45 through 48 and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures then he said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things now every gospel has its little commissioning moment uh, and uh, Matthew's is the most famous the great commission but this one in and Luke I love because because he says this a couple of different times when he's when the people were on the when they got two guys uh, Cleopas and whoever else uh, was on the road to Emmaus with Jesus 
it says he uh, that he beginning with the the Old Testament and the prophets he began to show them teach them understanding and here again this is if you wonder how how did the disciples have such a great understanding of the Old Testament and when you read the Gospel of Matthew it's like how does he find that in the Old Testament and put that together and Luke and all these different people Jesus is the one who gave that to him he gave them this understanding and and that's what he does for us you know. Any, anybody can read the Bible, uh, but only people who read the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit are given the understanding of the Bible that God wants us to have. It is literally, we, are, we can be looking at the same words, but he supernaturally gives us the ability to see things that other people can't see. Now, it's not that we're making stuff up or something. It's just there's a, a mental clarity because we have fallen minds and fallen, fallen reasoning our, our minds are tainted. We are completely unable to see. We've talked about that over and over, how we can't see anything unless Jesus gives us the ability to see it. But here we see that as we're reading through the scriptures, and I think that's why so many times people have read the Bible and think, I just didn't get anything out of it. I don't know what the point is, and they stop. So if, you, so if you're coming back to it, a very helpful thing to do is to ask God, God, help me to see what you want me to see from this. And and I'm I'm just amazed over I mean I've done this for years now and every day I come to it and there's always something he shows me that I go wow I didn't I, if I saw it before I didn't see it with this much clarity or I've forgotten about it or or I've got distracted from it or whatever the case but the the biggest thing is is it's like like he wants me to see that that day. It's like, I've got this for you to see this day. I've arranged the world, the universe. I put it all together so you would be seeing these words at this particular moment to think the thought that you are now thinking, I ordained that. And to think that God interacts with us on that level every single day and to ignore that, you know, I think Oof. how much I missed when I you know, when I didn't do this every day. And uh, if you did, if you don't do it every day, but you do it once a week, you know, I tell people, they're like, I don't have time to read the Bible, which is just, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, right. But, yeah. uh, but I get it. life, okay. But okay, so, but, so they're saying, I don't have time to read the Bible every day. Okay, so even if you take that argument, I say, can you give God five minutes? Just five minutes. Just read it for five minutes. And, uh, and then, and then, Try to expand that to 10 and then try to expand it to 15 and and then, you know, go as far as you can. But uh, but because really to get through the whole reading was it 25 minutes or something like that. I think 20, 25 minutes of reading each day. Uh, but um, but five minutes start there. Start one minute to start. Just open up the word and read a verse of scripture, but something uh, and ask God to give you that clarity. I, I think that's it's an amazing, amazing thing. So anyway. Yeah. Well, we have really tackled a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and there for was, sure. We didn't even talk about David and Goliath. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, if you want to know, you can read it. That's right. I, I, that there is so much about David and Goliath. We will uh, maybe we'll get it in question and answers. But yeah. Okay. Let's take a break. Yep. All right, we've got a couple of questions that we need to go over. The first one. <laughs> well, like, before we get to that. Yeah. Let's talk about David and Goliath because okay. I don't know that uh, David and Goliath uh, were uh, – there's just a few things of clarification about David and Goliath. In case you were, uh, ever read the story of David and Goliath, there's just a few, I think, misconceptions that need to be taken away. First of all, David doesn't meet Saul for the first time when he goes to defeat Goliath. 
he is part of Saul's court. He comes, Saul, uh, he has already been anointed, he's already been anointed king uh, by Samuel. Saul doesn't know that, uh, but David knows that. And, uh, and he has been requested to be in Saul's court to play music to ease his mind. Before Daniel was a worship pastor, David was a worship pastor for Saul. And uh, and that's what so Daniel does this for me on a routine basis when I get an yeah, angry when he gets spirit an angry comes spirit on me. Comes on Dave, him. Daniel comes and plays soft music to calm my soul. I keep no. my harp in my office. <laughs> so we uh, Troy keeps his spirit yeah, in his. Right there you go. <laughs> uh, my son David also plays, uh, so it's kind of a thing. Hey. It's a Daniel David thing. Um, the uh, so anyway, uh, so so then uh, he uh, David goes back to his sheep and so forth, and and he. Another thing that I think a misunderstanding is, is that uh, it, they get this idea of a slingshot. I think maybe the picture of the slingshot is more accurate today. It's, of course, it's not the two sticks with the rubber band yeah, in between. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. But, but, a, but thinking that a slingshot was just a kid's thing, it was actually a military weapon. Um, you see, during this time, the Philistines were more of the Iron Age. And and if you can, it was it's very similar to if you think of the cavalry uh, of yesteryear in the United States versus Native Americans. Uh, Native American weapons were severely outdone by the cavalry. Uh, Europeans, when they came into this country, um, have much superior weaponry than the people they were fighting against. And so this is kind of the lopsided nature of the uh, of the Israelites. The advantage the Israelites had is that they held high ground and they, they held territory. And so even with lesser uh, armament and weaponry, if you have a good position geographically, you can hold. It's really hard to take that ground. Um, it's really hard to conquer a hill, and so without losing a lot of people. So uh, that's why they said instead of us losing a lot of people, well, we send out a champion and you send out a champion. Those two fight, and whoever wins wins. Well, that's not in Israel's favor whatsoever. So they're <laughs> grieved over that. They also don't want to lose a lot of people either in in a military battle. But this definitely is not something they want to do. The other thing is that – and that, that also is borne out by – with Saul being the only one who had armor in the military. So it would be very difficult because all the Philistines were the blacksmiths, and so they couldn't go and get a bunch of armor for their army from the people they were fighting against. And so uh, so Saul had a thing of armor. He's the big – and he's super tall, and David is not super tall. So that's why his armor doesn't fit. It's not that David is a 10-year-old boy. It's that his armor is too big for him. I mean, he's getting ready to marry his daughter, so he's not a, a baby here. Um, but he he's small in stature, and he is younger, and he's not proven militarily. But he says, I'm very proficient with a slingshot. I'm very proficient in defeating these things. So that's what he that's what he goes it with. It still kills. And it still kills. And Saul's like, let's what what do we have to lose? Send him out. And um, and so he sends him out. He knocks him out with the slingshot. He runs and takes his sword. And and there's a and I don't know how much I mean I know a lot of research has been done. There's this a uh, lot of research was done into giantism, and it does bear truth in this. And yeah. that Saul can't move around very well. That's why he's telling David, come closer. <laughs> he's David, he's like, I can't catch you. I can't. Glad. That's what. Yeah. What did I say? Yeah. Saul. Saul. Yeah, no, Saul. Both Saul. Yeah, both, both, are, both are accurate probably. But, but Goliath, yes, Goliath is, has this giantism and uh, and can't chase David around. And so he keeps saying, come closer, come closer. And uh, David doesn't. Um, so he knocks him out. Saul fall, uh, Goliath falls down. And, 
and David takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. And now he's dead. And now he's dead. <laughs> now he's dead. And uh, and they keep the head. That's the is the proof of the yeah not so good, which is gonna play back around later. I don't know if you uh, a little foreshadowing yeah. there. Uh, but um, anyway, so uh, so anyway, that's that's David Glass. So now we get to the so David is now a part of Saul's court. Dave, he says you're not going home anymore. I want you here all the time. Well, as they're, you know, you're on a military conquest and and still doing military things. They still are fighting the Philistines. There's battles that ensue after that and so forth. So a lot have a lot of conquests. And now David is gaining a place of notoriety within Saul's army. And as they come back in and parading through, women have developed the song that Saul kills his thousands and David kills tens of thousands. And Saul now begins to become jealous. Now, the spirit of the Lord has already left Saul. So he's not going, this is not a, he's not a godly man anymore. Uh, and so David is a godly man, but so this jealousy begins to ensue. And so he comes up with this idea, how can I kill David? <laughs> and he offers him his daughter um, to, um, to marry uh, and, uh, and Saul's like, I, uh, or David's like, I, I'm not worthy of the king's daughter, and I'm not going to marry her. I can't, I can't, I'm not worthy to be your son because David's a very humble person. And so Saul comes up with this idea well, why don't you uh, give me 200 foreskins of, in order to uh, earn the right to be my son in law? And this, or 100 foreskins. Let me see what it says. It says, let me get, da, 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 da. I think it's 200. Yeah, well, he he comes back with twice oh, as many. Oh, yeah, that's right. He asked for 100. He asked for 100, and he comes back with twice as many, yeah. Um, but here's what it says. He said, now, now Saul's... Da, 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 um, because, let me back up. Verse 10, chapter 18, he says, The next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, and Saul was holding the spear and threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. So there's already this little bit of tension between the two of them. Um, and he says, um, so he says, uh, he sends David out away from him as a commander of a thousand men to lead troops. And Saul observed that David was very successful. He dreaded him, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, here is my oldest daughter, Merib. I'll give her to you as a wife. If you will be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So he's saying, I'll send him out the battle all the time. He'll get killed in war. Then David responded, who am I? What is my family or my father's clan of Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? And when it was time to give Saul's daughter Merib to David, she was given to Adriel the Maholothite as a wife. Now, Saul's daughter, Michael, or Michelle, or however you want to pronounce it, um, uh, Michael, uh, but it's uh, uh, Michael, but loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. And then David says, you know, I can't do that. And he said, um, David says, I'm a poor commoner. And he says, then Saul replied, say this to David, the king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Now, here's the thing. The 
one of the things that is that even carries over into the time of Jesus is that Philistines are uncircumcised, Israelites are circumcised. This is Abraham's covenant with the Lord. And remember with Moses that uh, his son wasn't circumcised and and God was going to kill him or whatever. And and so this was this is how that you distinctively show that you are a follower of God is because of circumcision. It is uh, it's kind of like baptism in the New Testament. I'm very thankful. Thank God for baptism. <laughs> and uh, so that's much easier in, as far as um, church membership drives. Uh, <laughs> people are like, I don't know if I want to be baptized. Well, you certainly don't want to be for, uh, circumcised. Uh, the, um, anyway, the, so anyway, the, um, so this was, so when they would attack their enemies, one of the ways they would show their conquering of them is to Take their uh, take their foreskins, and so yes, it's brutal, it's grotesque, but it is a brutal. This is a brutal and grotesque time. Yeah. Uh, and so we were just leaving the time of the judges. Yes. I mean, yes, we're it just was a couple years out of that. Yeah. And, and David has just cut off the head of one of the Philistines. Yeah. So anyway, so it's not that they're very kind. It's not the bloodiest thing. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so he goes out to show his zeal for Saul, because David's like, I can do this. I can do this military conquest. Um, the, the first shadow I was going to say in the New Testament is this is when you're trying to win converts over. That's what you, you would try to get. Um, to, the conquest of the New Testament was to circumcise people as an act of conversion to Judaism to show that. Mm. And, the, and it would be a sign of look at us, look at how many people were winning over to, for the Lord mm. and a sign of conquest. We've taken these these Gentiles, these pagan Gentiles, we've converted the, to, them to Judaism, didn't kill them but did have them circumcised. And and it was a sign of a mantle to wear yeah. or whatever. And yeah. Paul rebukes, actually, the Pharisees for this and says, you know, I hope you're all, <laughs> anyway, emasculated uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of your zeal for this. Uh, because he says, we're not under that anymore. We're not in that age anymore. This is now a different era. We're now baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and symbolically, we do that through the baptism of water. But we're still in David's age, and, and this is what he's doing in order to gain favor for, uh, in order to win over his wife. And so he does this twice as much as what is asked of him, which only frustrates Saul more because uh, he thought David would die in mm-hmm. his conquest. And David's like, David is an incredible warrior, and he's a man of God, and God shows him favor. And now he sees it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely a man of favor. So anyway, that's the uh, long explanation of a, a short thing. There was... Uh, what was the one thing you said? Yeah, one thing. Well, and we'll wrap up with that. Oh yeah, just a just a quick thing. I did have someone. Um, it was probably a couple weeks ago. Now ask me about the problem of Jesus's resurrection being on Sunday, and his death being on Friday. Because right. it's often, um, you know, it's often spun around three. You know, Jesus died, and three days later he came back to life. Right. Um, and 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 it's and the sign of Jonah is is yeah. the is the hard part in that because. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days. Yeah. Um, the um, and there are times when uh, there's a specifically it's three days. The the on the third day is actually easy to um, describe because because sure. Friday um, would be the first day. Right. And um, so the Jewish day goes from sundown to sun uh, sundown to sundown. So he w- he died. On Friday, if you think that the first day, that's the first day's on. He's in the tomb from Friday at dusk to uh, the next day at dusk. 
Uh, that's day two. And then he rises on the third day, meaning on after the dusk of the third day. So so on Sunday. So that's that isn't true. That stays true to be in third day. Some people. Uh, and the reason for that is, is because the women couldn't go and prepare the body because it was Passover. It was Set, a holy right. day. Now, where it gets confusing is Passover is also a holy day. And and and, understand, and the Jewish law is it's all over the place as far as understanding what day specifically he would have died on. And they were trying to – that's why they said we need to break their legs because we can't be desecrated by a dead right. body and we won't be able to celebrate Passover and so forth. That could have fallen on a Friday. That also would have been a holy day in which the women weren't allowed to go um, and would have then – then they couldn't go Saturday and then they had to go Sunday. And so he could have been crucified on Thursday. Thursday. Uh, and so that also holds true as well. Um, and uh, we had mentioned Chuck Swindoll earlier. Chuck mm -hmm. Swindoll actually holds to a – last I remember, he holds to a Thursday crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And um, it messes up Good Friday for sure. Yeah. But understand Good Friday is a tradition. We don't yeah. – that's not set it's in stone. It's not given to you yeah, exactly. by the text. And so, um, so it, there are different camps of thought on it. I think it's just easier in things like that to go with what's traditional. Sure. Um, if you ever go to the Holy Land – and you go to the tomb or the the yeah the, the the church of the resurrection. It's where they they believe that the the tomb is in there, and they have a holy place built around where they believe Jesus resurrected. It could be, and then you go to the garden tomb that's owned by a different group of people, and it looks like this would be where Jesus would have been buried. We have no idea whether yeah. he was at either of those places, but you know it depends on who's. So of course somebody's going to make an argument. Uh, when we went to the Sinai, uh, my friend calls it the fake Mount Sinai. It's <laughs> almost almost a given that it wasn't there, but but a lot of people argue that that is Mount Sinai, uh, but it's really in the Sinai Mountains. It's not it's Mount Horeb. Right. Uh, but uh, the um, some people think it's in Saudi Arabia and so forth. These are just things. These are all things that we don't have. That we do know that um, we do know he resurrected on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's just, uh, I, you know, obviously we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. That is no way connected to the birth of Jesus Christ right. as far as when he was born. Almost definitely he was not born on that day, um, probably more likely this spring. But those are kind of things that uh, I, you know, I just encourage people. Uh, yeah, research is good. We'll not figure that out. And um, And it could be either or. You can choose one and run with it, <laughs> and whatever makes you comfortable. Uh, but it's just something God chose not to give us complete and total clarification on. I appreciate the arguments for both. I, I think there's some humility needed. It's kind of like uh, uh, premillennial, postmillennial, all those type of arguments. Those are, you know, one of the things to always remember is that we don't agree on certain things. That there are essential beliefs that we should be unified in, but there are non-essential things that we need to show charity in. And uh, and liberty, you know, I um uh, I have my own idea about what I think, and I know that I could be wrong, uh. So, but uh, it, that's and and it, we need we need to show that. But I show absolute liberty and charity to others, and love to hear arguments to moment. But no, yeah. at the end, until Jesus clarifies it himself, or we meet the apostles, <laughs> and, they, and they give us they did they didn't write it down. Yeah, and so until we see until we see those guys, the eyewitnesses are the only ones that know. Yep. So, cool. Well, this was fun. We covered a lot of ground. We did very much so. 
Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.